0: Talk Radio. The information discussed during this show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning. This is Dr. O'Sullivan with Holistic Veterinary Care and Acupuncture Center here in Prescott Valley, Arizona. I wanted to welcome everyone that's listening and encourage you to give me a call if you have any questions whatsoever about today's topic. Uh, Today's topic uh, in broad strokes is the energetics of food and how food in and of itself has the power to address current issues, future issues, help to normalize our bodies and our bodies. Of course, I'm always talking about our pets. And the beauty of what we're going to go over today is that it can be directly translated to human beings. So I wanted to start out by um, addressing some of the questions that have come in with regards to, I guess, our last shows and stuff. Um, um, Let's see here. There's uh, Sandy in Bakersfield, who's not always comfortable with the side effects of the prescription that vets give her dog, and how... What suggestions might I have to handle this? She does uh, see that older dog with arthritis and feels the medications make him worse sometimes. Um, Sandy, thank you very much for your question, and it's a really, really important point. Um, Many of us have aging friends, aging pets, and they go through these same arthritic processes that we do, and it hurts, right? And, And you can imagine if you had to survive on four legs rather than two Right, you just really don't have an option to move around if you're sore. The medications that traditional veterinarians give out are uh, usually nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories, joint supplements, um, sometimes painkillers like a tramadol, and um, uh, let's see here, the, you sometimes might use a steroid uh, depending on what your what the situation is. Now, all of those medications do have side effects, just as you notice um i I have moved away from that and try to support the dog with offsetting the side effects of those medications, be it supporting a liver or the kidney or the gastrointestinal tract, and also choosing options that are more closer to the earth more homeopathic um I'm sorry, not so homeopathic more holistic um in nature and you can um uh, let's see here um there are things like your white willow bark and things you might read about on the Internet, but I beg you to please check those for toxicity um, and these, and underlying conditions with your dog. Um, please feel free to um, send me some more information, and we can check my website if you'd like to try and get some other ideas. But there are many, 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 many options for arthritis. One is acupuncture. One is um, I love Duralactin. I love herbals. Herbals work the best by far and a non-threatening to all the organ systems. Thank you very much, Sandy, and please feel free to get a hold of me with more detailed questions. Um, let's see here, here we have George Ann in Atlanta. Is there a difference between brand name, trade name, generic names in the medications for drugs, and what do I recommend, and how do you decide what's best? My biggest concern with the drug names is who made them, where are they sourced from, what country did it come from, How have they been transported and what are expiration dates? Not that I'm a huge believer in expiration dates for many things, but I don't know who's making these drugs or um, how they're being stored, how they're being shipped. I used to be in Las Vegas and I had a lot of concerns with it being 110 degrees in Vegas and then inside a shipping truck or inside a warehouse being 130 degrees. So I would just ask um, a lot of questions with regard to, what are the exact ingredients, what are the carriers, who's making them, who's shipping them, how are they being stored, and where do they come from? Especially things like um, the products that you can buy online that are brand names, trade names, and some of the companies that these medications come from do not authorize the sale of their products on the Internet. Okay, so who had them? Who's selling them? Where have they been storing them? And how come they're comfortable selling on the Internet? So, Georgiana, I would just recommend doing your due diligence. And relatively speaking, I'd like to say there's no difference in the brand name, trade name, and generic names because it's come off patent or those types of things. But I'm always leery, to be perfectly frank with you, always leery. So do your due diligence and call the manufacturers of the brand names and find out what's going on they'll answer your questions i'm pretty darn sure of it um let's see here we have alan in new haven um and i guess just wanted to say thank you thank you alan that's so great for your listening i really appreciate it and spread the word so we can really help as many animals as possible with a new thought process um here we go Beth from pittsburgh should i give my pet brand name food? We're going to go over that today, so stay tuned and and tell tell all your friends that are pet lovers and have the same darn question about brand name foods, and we'll try and get on top of that today. Um, I have Carol and Otis from Las Vegas, and their question is about flea and tick medications, And why are some of the products only available through veterinarians? That's a very important question. I really appreciate that. And we'll be going over that in, I think it's going to be the next show. And the reason that we go over some of the products through veterinarians only is because they have certain toxicities. They have certain breeds that you don't want to use them in. And you want to make sure that your loved one does not have any pre-existing conditions and that we can go over side effects and such. Now, There are quite a few generics that are hitting the counters in some of the big um, grocery stores and such, and the drugs that they're using that are not as potent, but it's not just they're not as potent, but they're not as safe. So um, talking to your vet is great, doing your research is great, Um, but knowing that the products might just be on patent, they might be owned by a huge company, but you can also get all the side effects from these medications, and to be perfectly frank with you, the risks of flea and tick-borne diseases that are harder to treat and sometimes require Western medication versus the risk of the flea and tick medications um, has to be weighed out, depending on where you live and what your exposure is. And I'd also highly recommend anyone concerned about fleas and ticks and other biting insects and such, look into diatomaceous earth. Diatomaceous earth is a naturally occurring powdery substance um, and just, just look it up and see what you can do. It, it's very, um, mm, let's see here, um, arthropods, um, all the bugs, all the creepy crawlers cannot tolerate it. it. will kill them, and there are two grades of it. One is human grade, and one is pool grade. So you never, ever, ever use pool grade, but you can use human grade, and you can go to a feed store, you can go to a um, high-grade had some store. You can go online and take a look at it. It's called diatomaceous earth, and you can use it topically or internally sometimes. But it might be something that you might want to look into. But um, like I said, use it with caution. Do your due diligence, and call me if you have any more questions. Okay. Um, Carol and Otis also want to know: Can I give my dog over-the-counter pain meds? Please, 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 do not do that. Absolutely not. And then the question is: Such as Tylenol. The non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and painkillers that humans use are extremely toxic to dogs and cats, extremely toxic. So they will do things like throw, some of them will actually do things like throw them into liver failure, throw them into kidney failure, start bleeding ulcers, those types of things. So please tell tell everyone you know, no over-the-counter human pain meds at all. Um, There are some options that we can use that are herbals and that are homeopathics that work quite nicely depending on where the pain is coming from. But I beg you, I I beg you, I implore you, do not use any human painkillers on animals, I I mean non-human animals. Um, It can cause all manner of disorders. And the last question um, we've got from Carol Notice, are products from Canada different from the United States? Are there risks of ordering products online? Okay, so... Products from Canada are different from that in the United States. We have different protocols, different uh, manufacturing codes, different, uh, especially if you're growing products that go into, um, um, whether it's an herbal or a food supplement or anything along that line, the um, codes and laws and restrictions and um, import rules are quite different. Not to say that they're not safe, but... Uh, we want to look into those and and find out who the companies are and how these things are being stored and are they being are chemicals being used? are genetically modified organisms being used? How are they shipping them? How long have they been at the distributor those types of things and then are there risk in ordering products online uh yes, I thought kind of addressed it a little bit this morning already, but I'm, I'm okay with products that I trust and that high-quality vendors, high-quality distributors, those types of things, selling products online. It makes it easy for all of us. I think we can probably agree with that. The issue I have is if you aren't a licensed medical profession, if you aren't somebody that's supposed to have your hands on these supplements, on these herbs, or on these medications and such, and the original maker of these products does not sanction having those medications or products sold online. My question is always, where did they come from? How are they being stored? Have they had the serial numbers shipped off, um, scraped off, which unfortunately it happens in the past? And are they safe? Are they safe my my dog or my cat or my bird or my fish or my horse? I can't answer that unless, to be perfectly frank with you, if you can't pick up a phone and call the people that made it and read a serial number to them and find out exactly the history of this medication or this herbal or this food, don't buy it, please. I mean, please don't buy it. Um, the risk of having something be wrong with that product versus the risk of a couple extra dollars in shipping or going to a person who's selling it on the ground who will actually take responsibility for the product, I'm I'm just a bigger fan of that. So um, I, real, I feel like I've done... Uh, somewhat inadequate job of answering some of your questions, but please, I implore you to just call me back at some really specific questions, especially about Sandy and Bakersfield, arthritis in our dogs. Oh my gosh, there's so much that we can do. Try to find a holistic um, um, veterinarian in your area. You can go to IVIS, It's I-V-A-S dot com and punch in your zip code and it'll come up with uh, people that have been through the same education that I went through with the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society, and they know their holistic, they know their traditional Chinese medicine, they know how to help you out as a licensed veterinarian with extra training in your area that can give you all manner of ideas versus you being out there on your own trying to figure out what to do. And also things you can do to try to mediate the side effects of the medications that your traditional veterinarian has given you. So those are all extremely important questions that you guys have, and I really appreciate your input. Um, And I encourage anyone else who's listening to give us a call and ask your questions today. And then we'll go ahead and start um, on the actually extremely exciting topic of the thermogenics of food. Um, Anybody who's interested to call in and talk today, at any time during the show, please call. The number is 347 215 6138. Once again, 347-215-6138. And thank you very much. Alright, so off to the topic of the day. Uh, topic of the day is the actual energy that exists within different kinds of food. Now, you and I probably can relate to our choices in food every single day. If we feel like having something spicy, like let's say spicy chili or, um, I don't know, a burrito, something that has a lot of sauce or zing to it, we know that that food is going to make us warm up, whether it's our stomach going, oh my gosh, maybe you shouldn't have that, or that little bead of sweat that comes off our face, or that, oh my gosh, I need some water, I need some water, I need some water because my mouth is burning, or that slush appearance that you get in your skin that kind of redness. Um, We also know that if we have cool lemonade, we have like, let's say, a cucumber soup, we have something else that we know is going to cool us down on a hot day, those are examples of the energetics, the thermogenics of food. And we know inherently, after experience, whether these foods are going to make us feel pretty neutral like, let's say, I don't know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or it's going to make us heat up like a spicy barbecue or let's say some spicy bratwurst or something crazy like that. Or on a hot summer day, we're going to sit out and we're going to eat something that's not so heavy on our system, kind of cooling. It's probably going to be something that is plant-based, maybe a vegetable, maybe a lettuce, those types of things. So we have the power to make those decisions for ourselves in our diet. Right. Our pets do not, right? They eat what we feed them and or maybe don't eat what they feed them, but relatively speaking, they don't have that choice. So today's discussion is going to be based on how do we look at our four legged friends, how do we best address their needs, and how do we respect their decision when we put something in front of them and they just look at us like we're nuts, or they walk away like, I'm not eating that. And it happens. I, you know, I know it happens. <laughs> as much as you know, as much as you think you know, sometimes you put something down for these guys and they just walk away. It doesn't mean they're sick. It might mean that there's something in there that might make them feel badly, whether it's an upset stomach or cramps or belching. Who, who, who the heck knows, right? But I'm a big advocate of trusting these guys. So let's start at the beginning. In traditional Chinese medicine, and inherent, I believe, strongly in all of us, is the idea, the knowledge, that the way we get energy, the way we get power, the way we get chi, the way we get centered is by the air we breathe and the food that we eat. It's it's, it's our source of our our life vitality, and it's present for us all the time. But we as humans sometimes use the in places and do things and make choices where we don't have maybe the best air to breathe. Maybe we live in a cramped city. Maybe there's a lot of smog. Maybe there's a lot of brake dust. Maybe there's a lot of fire. Maybe there's um, indoor activities is the primary use of our time, okay? A lot of people sit in cubicles. The food we eat is, I don't know, let's see, it's packaged, it's processed, It might have genetically modified food in it. It might have chemicals. It might have preservatives. It might have all those words on the back ingredient label that nobody can pronounce. If you can't read it, you can't pronounce it, my recommendation is don't eat it and don't feed it to your dog or your cat or your bird or your fish or your horse, all of them. Um, But those are choices we have. It's a lifestyle choice. It's an economic choice. It's behavioral choices. The thing is that we're the advocates of our four-legged friends, and that leaves them somewhat at the mercy of our choices, our lifestyle choices. So as we think about the air we breathe, many times for humans as well as our, our buddies, our fuzzy buddies, when we plan vacation, when we plan things that will bring us some relief, we go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go out of state. I'm going to go to the mountains. I'm going to go Hawaii. I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to do this. And we feel that that is a relief from our everyday lives, and that's because it's going to get us out in the fresh air with exercise. Now, our four-legged friends want and need the same thing, okay, bar none. Now, that being convoluted as it is, imagine that you're living less than a foot off the ground on four legs where everything that is smoke, chemicals, pollution, detergents, carpet cleaners, all the perfumes, all the stuff that humans have a tendency to use, settle toward the ground, So the air we breathe as a dog, the air we breathe as a cat, might be even more polluted than the stuff that you and I take in. So the idea of getting us out with our friends, running, playing, throwing a ball. One of my favorites (laughs) is blowing bubbles. I've never met a human being ever that can blow bubbles and not have a smile on their face. So with regard to increasing your joy, increasing your fun, a little unexpected activity, there are products out there that are safe for dogs. They're not high detergent. They don't have no toxins in them. And also babies. You know, if you go and get a human baby, bubbles, um, and you check it for toxicity, you can go out into a park and not blow bubbles at your pet. That's no good. But just in the air. And a lot of times these guys <laughs> will purely enjoy it. They run around, snapping at the bubbles. And that I guarantee you, you're not going to make it through a bubble trip to the park or a bubble walk without a smile on your face so just an idea but um i've never seen it not work the food we eat i'm a big advocate for myself and for everybody that i want our food to be as close to the earth as possible i don't i want it to be minimally processed i want it to be real food i i do not appreciate genetically modified organisms in the food of my patients or myself. Um, And then I am constantly, in the back of my head, thinking about, let's see here, I'm thinking about antioxidants, I'm thinking about omegas, I'm thinking about a whole bunch of things as a doctor that are um, convoluted, confusing, and uh, wonderful at the same time. So we're going to go over some fundamentals here, and I need to backtrack a bit to the foundation of my two primary critters, so dogs and cats. Dogs are omnivores. Dogs are just like you and I with regard to their ability to eat a wide variety of food, being it protein, being meat, organs, and skeleton, vegetable, fruit, and grains. That being said, There are foods that you and I eat that are absolutely toxic for our dogs and our cats. And a couple of them that we'll go over just briefly, chocolate, onions, scallions, grace raisins, uh, apricot pits, plums, persimmons, macadamia nuts, alcohol, (laughs) raw uh, yeast dough, cherry pits, mustard leaves, mustard seed, avocado peel. And for a list of these things, I will have it up on my website um, and um, through the show um, probably later on this afternoon because it's very, very important we make sure that everybody knows as we're making choices that are outside of the bagged food world, we know what not to feed them, okay? So that's dogs. Now cats, cats are obligant carnivores. Obligant carnivores are quite different than you and I and dogs. Alpine carnivores require flesh protein in order to fulfill all of their body's needs. The um, cats have a much shorter gastrointestinal system than you and I do, and dogs have a short gastric system as well, but cats have shorter. Cats require taurine. They can't make it themselves. So you get that from skeletal organ Meat flesh, um so if we think about cats as being the lion anywhere in God, in the zoo or on a safari or naturally occurring lion, and you think about a dog being an omnivore more of a i guess a wolf sort, but cats have to in order to survive their daily needs, metabolic needs, survival needs, muscular needs um, have got to have flesh I have unfortunately dealt with quite a no it's not true by five or six people that were vegetarians or vegans themselves and tried to treat their cat as such. And as well-intended as that is, it cannot be successful. Absolutely, bar none, cannot be successful. Cats are probably carnivores. So that being said, I went through my traditional veterinary training in Purdue and then went, um, you know, through my four, four and a half years of, you know, just crazy classes and, you know, just study, 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 study. And I honestly cannot remember not even more than five minutes of nutrition classes in four, four and a half years of just intensive education. And then I do remember uh pizza parties put on by the big dog food companies, you know, because when you're I gotta be honest with you, when you're a veterinary student, you drink coffee and eat pizza. That's how you get through, or at least that's my experience. So that being said, um, my Experience my education when I first started doing this was processed, bagged, large distributed dog foods. Now these companies, these big companies, well, all the companies, they do really good work. They do a lot of research. They do offer specific de- diseases, and they they do their due diligence with a certain mentality. They is different than which I hold now, but with regard to this, the science and the, the thought and the energy that goes into different diseases for different dogs and cats and different creatures and sure that all their foods that they offer to the public are up to a certain standard, that's completely valid. And dogs and cats live out their lives on bagged process, large company food every single day. So I can't, I can't discount that what it is that I do now and what it is that I believe now is quite a bit different than that. So I'm not, I'm not dis, I'm not discounting or um, uh, badmouthing the big companies for their efforts to try to allow people in this country to have hundreds of thousands of dogs and cats, tens of thousands of dogs and cats and be able to feed them. You know, it's just, um, uh, it, it, it's quite a feat to be perfectly frank with you. So, When I was a traditional white coat, I was trained, just like I heard many, many, many of my uh, fellow veterinarians, that you never, (laughs) you you weren't a believer in home-cooked diets. You weren't a believer in raw diets. You weren't a believer in kind of anything that was off-grid. And, you know, standard and canned foods were all that we Uh, preached, to be perfectly frank with you. And those days are over as far as I'm concerned. So um, one of the things that traditional veterinarians may tell you is that you can't switch food. You can't switch food. The reason that is that we can't switch food without getting diarrhea or vomiting is because if our friends are eating out of a bag of food or a can of food twice a day, same, 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 the flora and fauna, in your gastrointestinal tract, your probiotics, the bugs, the friendly bugs in our GI tract, some of them live and they're used every day because of the diet our friends are eating. Some of them die off because they're not being used. So if we change their food suddenly, the bugs, the probiotics, our friendly creatures that help us digest may not be there for a new food, a new protein, a new grain, a new bean, a new veg. So uh, that's when slow change overcomes when you've been on a traditional diet. So um, if we have our pets on a traditional processed, bagged diet, we do have to make slow changes. We do have to fortify the GI tract with probiotics. We do have to take a look at what they've been eating and how we get them on to something else. Now, that being true, I have to make a confession. I, I did some work uh, up at the Farm Sanctuary in Watkins Glen, New York, and was a vegan for quite some time. And then there was a moment in my life where I decided that I am not going to be a vegan anymore. So what did I do? I went from being a vegan to I think I think I went like to In-N-Out or some, maybe it was Carl's Jr., I'm not really sure, and uh, had a, like a cheeseburger, something hellacious like that, right? Don't you know? that I paid the price for that decision for a good three days in the bathroom. And it's embarrassing, but it's true. My body was a vegan. The flora and fauna in my body was a vegan. And I all of a sudden threw a big piece of flesh covered in cheese and mayonnaise and bread at it, and my body went, oh, no, 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 this is not going to happen, and just shot it right out of me and made me feel like I regretted it. So that's the same thing that we sometimes do to our, our fuzzy friends, right? So we have to be aware that what what our habits are, what our GI tract is used to on a daily basis doesn't change quickly. So we have to help them with that. Um, that being said, many times when I talk to my clients or give classes and such, sometimes they get, uh, let's see, naysayers, I guess is how they, they present themselves, saying that my grandparent used to have a dog and they never went to a vet, and that dog lived to be 15 years old and never had a problem, and I said, you know what, I believe you, of course I believe you, because I'm guessing that your grandpa or your great-grandpa or whoever it is, possibly maybe lived on a farm, grew their own food, had their own livestock, Your that dog got to live the life of a dog, it got to run it got to play, it got to chase, it got to breathe fresh air, get into the troubles that dogs get into, sleep under the porch, whatever it is that dogs were meant to do without any somewhat human interference. Then the food that your grandpa folks ate maybe was grown from the earth, taken from the herd, cooked in a kitchen, served on a table. Then when all the humans were done, all that leftover food, got scraped off the table or off the dishes into the dog bowl, and the dog ate it. So, in my opinion, that dog ate much more nutritious, delicious, minimally processed, minimal chemical, hopefully no GMO, food every single day of its life, and got to go out and be a dog in the fresh air. So, I, I can't argue with that. I-, I would want that life. So, um, the idea that we need to put you into a crate, put you into an apartment, put you into pollution, feed you processed foods from a bag, and then wonder why you get sick or wonder why you have to go to the vet, I, if we just slow down and think about it for a minute, it might become clear. Okay. So, so one, one person's opinion there, but um, it certainly does bring a smile to your face when you see them doing what they're meant to do. So 30 minutes off topic, and I apologize, but here we go. The foundation of our dogs being omnivores, cats being obligate carnivores. The idea that we may have been feeding them food that's pigeonholed their gastrointestinal tract into a place that's going to take a little while to move them onto. But is it real food? It's less processed food. There are some wonderful companies out there that are making um, uh, products that are raw, products that are dehydrated raw products that have no genetically modified organisms and that are organics, which means that hopefully they don't have any chemicals and they've been minimally processed, which are just fantastic options for us, aren't they? And that even if you can't get them where you live, you can get them online. So that's kind of the beauty of the Internet and these big companies. Well, they're not so big, but the companies that care about the things that we care about and are providing us with things that keep us from having to cook for our pets, because if you can't boil it or stir fry it, I can't cook it, but my dog's eating So there's got to be a way to get it done. Right? Um, the food energetics that so we talked about, the humans choosing our hot foods, cooling foods, uh, neutral foods. If we translate that directly to our, our four-legged friends, or, yeah, we're going to stick with dogs and cats for today, okay, just to kind of make things a little bit more easy uh, or easier. Now, If you have, let's say, a dog that is, mm, let's say, we are, mm, we seek out cool places, like we want to be on a tile, we want to be in the shade, we want to be in the pool. This dog, let's say, is panting all the time, thirsty all the time, has got red eyes, pants at night, has dry skin, dry coat, and is restless all the time, kind of agitated. These are signs that... This creature may have internal heat, right? We might be hot. We might have a little bit of a yin deficiency, but that's, that's stuff for a different conversation. But if you show signs of hot, I'm panting all the time, my ears are hot, my skin is dried out, just like you and I, itchy skin, we have a dry cough, our eyes are red, we always want something cool. It's like get these extra clothes off of me. I just can't be in the sun. My body in and of itself is hot we have the choice to choose cooling foods. And the cooling foods, one of the first rules of food therapy is you treat hot conditions with cooling foods. You treat cold conditions with warming foods. Now that um, fundamentally seems to make sense, but it does get much more confusing than that. But it's just a way for us to think. Now the, the cooling foods, Uh, Depending on what charts you look at, there is some discrepancies with them, but cooling foods, um, you know, some of them are beef, duck and rabbit, whitefish, clam, sardines, cod, and then there's a whole list of veggie, fruit, grains, and et et cetera, you know, with our cow milk or our chicken egg that are, they are cooling foods. So if we have a heat condition or we're constantly hot, constantly inflamed, constantly panting, then we might choose to do cooling food. That being said, if you have a dog that's hot or a cat that's hot, let's say you've been diagnosed with an inflammatory disease, right? anything that's an itis, whether it's dermatitis, otitis, um, gastroenteritis, colitis, the, the end of those words, I-T-I-S, itis? It means inflammation, all right? So inflammation, there are five pillars of inflammation, always, always, five pillars of inflammation, redness, heat, swelling, loss of function, pain. They show up in different degrees at different times. But any kind of itis, an inflammatory condition, has redness, heat, swelling. So if we have a heat condition, an itis, do we want to be feeding these creatures warming or hot foods? My answer is no. Why would I add heat to a creature that already has a heat condition, has an itis? So in those conditions, we'd want to stay with neutral foods and maybe cooling foods, depending on our creature and what their situation is and what they've been fed before. There's a lot of things that go into it. The thing that I want to stress is that every single choice you make has got profound um, influence on the health and well-being and um the ability to normalize and to bring things into homeostasis. So let's say for example we have a creature that's got an itis, a colitis where we call it irritable bowel disease Crohn's, a dermatitis you know itchy, scratchy otitis, chronic ear infections gingivitis, red gums do we want to feed that creature something that is warming or hot? Now the hottest foods that we have um, that we know of lamb, venison and trout now, lamb and venison are two very popular protein sources in manufactured foods these days, if you go to the store, or even some of the options for our raw diets. But we have to know that the energetics of lamb, the energetics of venison, the energetics of trout, and of course cayenne pepper, goodness gracious, um, make our internal system, make our digestion, make our body hot, not just warm, but hot, Okay. So if we have a creature that's already hot, let's say a creature that's seeking cool places, one that can't sleep through the night, one that's panting all the time, one that's got an active itis, let's say inflammation, we have, um mm, golly, the one that if you try and ask them to come to the bed with you, they jump down, they lay on the bathroom floor. They're the ones that um, have their face in the water bowl or maybe even put their feet in the water bowl to cool themselves down. So, We want to help those hot dogs and hot cats cool down. So we have the power to do that through the food bowl once or twice a day. That situation uh, happens a lot because we have a habit of keeping our bodies hot and eating foods, especially carbohydrates, that heat us up. We know Our dog friends and our cat friends, they, they don't need carbs. And, you know Most of the people I know, including myself, don't either, or don't need high amounts of carbs. So that's one situation. Now, if you have a creature that's actually cold, their body is chilly, you touch them, they're cold, they shake um, when it's not chilly outside, they always want to be under the covers with you, they want to be the first one to lay down in front of the fireplace, they want... Um, let's see, they they go out and they sunbathe um, and sometimes at times where you think, my goodness, it's extremely hot out there. What the heck are they doing out there? Um, these are animals that may not be able to maintain their own body warmth. They might be, um, my, my unfair example is sometimes chihuahuas, small white, I call it small white shaker dogs, um, hairless cats, uh, a lot of times they'll be uh, greyhounds and some of the the sighthound running breeds, they all have a tendency to not be able to hold in their own body temperatures, I mean their own body heat. Now, those are considered chi deficiencies in some cases, and sometimes those will progress to the point where you have a generalized weakness, fatigue, exercise intolerance, poor appetite, chronic diarrhea, loss of body weight, muscle atrophy, shortness of breath. Sometimes it even progresses to the point where you have asthma, or urinary and fecal incontinence. It's just your chi is draining out of you. You know, you're getting cold. Your chi is your life force. Your chi is the thing that keeps us warm from the inside. But if we have our friends that are cool, they are cold, these guys, um, they will um, seek comfort, seek warmth. These are the guys that go around with the jackets on them all the time. And believe me, I've got a pit bull that needs a jacket all the darn time. These should be a big, bad, fully healthy tough guy but as soon as the <laughs> as soon as the temperature goes down he's shaking like a leaf so the way we can help these guys is to get them warming or hot foods not necessarily super hot because we want to start out gradually changing their thermogenic their energetic, to their food now the warming foods, most people can agree are turkey some chicken is kind of neutral to warming we have pheasant ham and here's the funny part we have lobster shrimp prawns. Now I'm not sure who can afford to feed their dogs lobster shrimp and prawns, but um anchovies, sweet potatoes, um black beans, uh and, and many other grains like our sorghum and our um oats. So there are there are these wonderful charts out here, uh, probably available online of course, um, um yeah I could say online or if you're you're a holistic veterinarian that can speak to the thermogenics of food and how you can use those to try to normalize your pet. Now, cats are a little tricky, right, because they're obligate carnivores. So we're going to be feeding them flesh. We're going to be feeding them meat. We're going to be feeding them um, products that uh, will support their needs for flesh-based um, supplements like our taurine and such. So hopefully the, dog, the cat foods that we use and the dog foods that we use Um, are nutritionally complete. They've been AFCO certified. But when we start to do things like cook for ourselves or feed them off of charts like this, we have to make sure that we take care of all their mineral needs and so on and so forth. That gets a little complex. So if we choose foods off the shelf, for our cats especially, we're probably looking at whole fish. We're probably looking at um, uh, maybe a chicken, maybe a turkey, um, sardines for sure, and i i don't i don't have a lot of experience with these guys liking red meat like cow but if we have things like at the grocery store a water based sardine tuna fish salmon those types of things that don't have salt don't have oils the stuff that humans like we can try those that being said there are some uh, information out there that we shouldn't feed cats tuna and tuna out of a can, okay, I've got the same concerns as everybody else, right? The pollution in the water where the fish were, how were they raised, where were they caught, what the heck is in that can that they've been stored in, and what about mercury? So all of those concerns are not lost on me, but if I have a choice to feed my cat a carbohydrate-based kibble diet in a bag or share a can of salmon with my cat, it's going to be the can of salmon every single day. Respecting their constitutions, respecting their need for um, flesh-based nutrients, and getting the stuff out of their lives that they honestly don't need and might be complicating their metabolism and complicating their long-term health down the road. So um, there are many things to take into consideration, but if we can think about the nutrition for our friends, our four-legged friends, as being what I think that most of us inherently know. Stay away from the processed stuff. Stay away from the chemical stuff. Stay away from the genetically modified stuff. And as we flip the bags over to read them, or we go online, or whatever it is we're doing to get our food, honestly, if the first two, three, four, five ingredients aren't proteins that you can pronounce, and they are not a something meal, you know, like salmon meal or salmon, um, mm, well, any kind of protein, but then they have meal and then they have byproduct meal as the two or three last words on this protein. So um, if we just kind of close our eyes and use our imagination, I'm guessing you can imagine what a meal or a byproduct meal is. um, Foods for animals don't have to be human grade unless they're marketing themselves as such or marketing themselves as organic and so on and so forth or raw. But um you can imagine that the stuff that our government has decided that is not human grade is the stuff in many cases that are going into our dog food and cat food bags and that they're they're marked as meals or meal bride products and so on and so forth. So I would like to encourage you to read the labels. Absolutely read the labels and See what the first four ingredients are and at this point, to make things more confusing, what are the thermogenics of these food? Do I have a dog or a cat that has red swollen gums, scratching with dry skin, is having you know gastrointestinal problems, anything that's an itis, is seeking out cool places? Do I want to read the label and have something on the back of it that says venison? Do I want it to say lamb? No, no, I don't. I want those things, those things are hot. I don't want to heat up my friend. If I have a dog or a cat that is cold, shaking under the covers with me, um, maybe has a little bit of a poor appetite, is um, out sun seeking, sunbathing, is sitting by the fire all the time, wants you to put a jacket on, has a little turn or something, um, do I want to feed that cat or dog cold foods? No, I absolutely don't. So that means that I won't reach for mm, rabbit. I won't reach for duck. I won't reach for scallops. Well, who would do that? I, know I don't know who could do that. Um, White fish, those are all very cooling. So there's a ton, a ton of information to know here. And I guess the found, the foundational message here today that we'll continue to go after is that this food, just like for you and I, has power. It absolutely has power. Now, it's going to give you the colors of the rainbow in your vegetables and fruits that you choose. And, yes, dogs can eat fruits and vegetables. Of course they can eat fruits and vegetables. You want to make it a slow changeover from wherever they were before and ask them, you know, ask them. If you're eating a piece of green beans, ask them if they want a piece, a slice of banana, a slice of carrot, a cucumber. You know, um, the nutrient value of all the things that we have on our table. And hopefully we can move towards having it be in the vegetable world, in the fruit world, literally the colors of the rainbow. The colors of the rainbow represent phytonutrients. Phytonutrients, phyto meaning plant, nutrient meaning what nutrient means, right? That these phytochemicals, phytonutrients, plant-based diet, wonderful chemicals, aren't different within the color ranges that you see in our foods. So um, with humans, some of, these, some of the food charts and such to lower our risk of cancer or to be healthy or weight loss are asking humans to eat five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day that protect us with antioxidant and phytochemicals. We love, we love the colors of the rainbow for not only ourselves and our health, but for our dogs and not so much for our cats. Some of our cats dig it, but most of the time they get their plant nutrients and the guts, the GI tract, the things that they eat. And with processed food, that's more difficult. So that's why the canned foods and the kibble foods for cats have added in many of the minerals and vitamins and so on and so forth because they're not out hunting. They're not out killing things and, you know, eating the whole body to get all of their in one meal. So we've we've kind of um supplemented the foods that we give. So um if you choose to start doing home cooking for your cat, let's talk about what we have to supplement with that that diet with. Um and then with the dogs and with you, um, get into the fruits and vegetables. We love, love, love fruits and vegetables. And the more we're uh tolerant with our um our four legged friends as they get used to having I don't know how many of you out there shake, or what do we call it, juicing now, when you throw all your fruits and veg into a blender, turn it on, make a shake out of it, throw some ice in there, and then down it. And it's wonderful, right? You feel great after that. You've got a huge nutrient load. I have many clients that share their juicing with their dogs. They pour some of it over their kibble or over their raw diet, and uh, they share. And I I couldn't be more supportive of that. If the dogs will eat it at the room temperature so it doesn't cramp their stomach, and they're getting the same advantage of the nutrient load of these phytonutrients, of these wonderful colors of the rainbow that we get. That being said, um, I am a strong supporter of locally grown, chemical-free, no genetically modified organisms in the food, and that stands true for... Uh, unfortunately, our, our vegetables and our grains and our beans, you know, our corn and our soy and many other the GM crops that are out there. So you're going to have to start asking questions, not only for your own health, because you need to be there to advocate for your buddy from now until in perpetuity here, but also for your friends, right? And that I know from personal experience and from doing this, that the more you get away from process, the more you get to the earth, the more you get off of the adulteration of our food supply, and feed it to our friends. The happier they are, eyes are brighter, coats are clearer, energy levels up, fats down, muscles up. It's not a miracle. It's not a pill. It's going to take some time. But my goodness, does it work? And there are many other things that we have to look into on a case-to-case holistic perspective because each creature is different. But if we have the power and the information and the knowledge to know that our choices for food which is the foundation of everything we do for our guys, right? Twice a day, usually, hopefully maybe once a day or maybe fasting a day, but the food we put in front of them, we're the ones that make those decisions for these guys and we have to be knowledgeable. Now, with regard to um, changing over food or starting to think about doing a GMO-free, a home cook, a raw diet, a a diet-type change... I always recommend, always across the board, whether, you know, most of the time I'm telling the owners to do the same darn thing if, they, if they're so inclined, is to start with probiotics because I want my patients to have as much benefit as possible of replanting the flora and fauna of their gastrointestinal tract so they have a beautiful garden of these wonderful bugs to start making use of the wonderful foods that we feed them. If you throw wonderful foods, wonderful thoughts, wonderful intentions on barren soil, which is what the gastrointestinal tract might be after days, weeks, months, years of the same, 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 same processed diet, then all of our good intentions don't go to full use. So if we get down to the foundation, down to the core, down to the gastrointestinal tract, which is doing all the heavy lifting to make use of and get the benefits from, the food that goes in their mouth. That's where I always start. So probiotics to, as I said, reestablish the bacteria load in a po- the positive, the fun bacteria, the bacteria that we need to um, make use of our food every day, and then slow um, slow changes with the foods, and one thing at a time. And for most of my clients, I tell them make one small change. For three to four days and see what happens. You know, see how they like it. Those types of things. It's not going to be overnight. We're not going to make major changes like I made when I came to turn from a vegan to a carnivore and paid a pretty dear price. And I would never put my friend, my four-legged friends through that. So, uh, the probiotics so important. The food choices so important. Trying to get away from processed food, try and get away from chemicals, try and get away from genetically modified foods, try and get away from the things that I can't pronounce, I can't read and I don't know what the heck it is on the back of the label. And making sure the back of a label for my friends is actually a protein the first two or three or four ingredients. And then vegetables, then fruit and then grain. I'm, I'm fine with grain-free diets because um, I don't want too many carbohydrates in my friends. Um, and then we the GMO-free, um, There's. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in trying to get away from genetically modified foods. And one of my strongest concerns uh, for that is that we have serious health risks that are indicated and associated with genetically modified foods. Ready? Infertility, immune problems, accelerated aging, salty insulin regulation, changes in the major organs and gastrointestinal system. All right. That's scary stuff. Now, this is information from responsibletechnology.org. It's Jeffrey Smith's organization, which I have the utmost respect for. Um, But we want to promote grassroots, homegrown, local community food and products if we can that haven't been genetically modified. It it makes you feel good. And um, making sure that the food you eat, you can track it back there. Just like I was saying in the beginning of the show about being able to track back the products that are being sold on the Internet the um, medications that don't have particular labels, those types of things. It's a lot of work. I I don't discount that whatsoever, but when we took on responsibility to take care of our four-legged fuzzies and they depend on us and we're their advocate, I can guarantee you that there's nothing more fulfilling than watching your friends bloom, to blossom, to get rid of some of the nagging problems that you may have been going to the veterinarian for. Some skin problems, some allergy problems, some gastrointestinal problems, some vomiting problems, some behavioral problems um when we get to the earth and we get to the food and we start to respect the energetics of food and the needs of our our friends uh we we can do amazing things from our kitchen and you know from our pocketbooks if, unfortunately, and there are plenty of uh, options out there right now that accommodate lifestyle, finances, and the needs of our friends, whether it's weight loss, medical conditions, age conditions, every creature, as I said probably ten times before, is so specific. They they, they are um, they're such individuals and um they can get dressed that way. Now uh one last thing that I wanted to mention which is also quite important is that um we as you know, as, I guess, American humans, or it could be Captain everywhere, we have a tendency to lead um, a quite an acidic lifestyle um, with regard to we eat meats, we eat protein, flesh-based protein, we have coffee, we have alcohol, we live in somewhat pollution, those types of things. So the proteins that we eat have a tendency to be acidic. The um, the processed foods that we feed our friends have a tendency to be acidic. And the thing that offsets those acidic food choices are um, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and um, those are alkaline forming foods. So our phytonutrients and our fruits and vegetables um, don't underestimate the power of those while keeping in mind the constitution of our animals. Like I said, dogs, omnivores, cats being obligate carnivores. So, um, all of these things, I realize, are <laughs> it's a ton, a ton of information, and uh, very, very important um, when we're. Gosh, gosh you know, I, 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 wish that we had hours and hours when we were face to face because it makes so much more sense than on a case to case basis. But the air we breathe, the lifestyle that we've chosen, exercise, exercise, exercise on a daily basis, and fun—you gotta have joy. These guys need to have joy. They need to be out running around or doing whatever's safe for them, of course. But um, uh, the, like the food, of course, we talked about the power of that. And making sure that medical conditions and pain, discomfort are addressed, hopefully in a holistic way. But sometimes when we get weight off these guys, we get their diet less acidic, we allow these conditions to go away. Depending on where you live and what the pollution is like, what the chemical load is like, what the um, smog is like, what the exercise load is like, what the chemical history of your place is like, where you live, we have to finish up this conversation talking about water, don't we? Water is, I don't know, depending on how dehydrated you are, I don't know, 60 70% of your body and your friend's body. So when we think about water... Many people I know they have reverse osmosis, they have filtered water, they have distilled water. I'm lucky enough to have well water, so um, I'm off the chart, off the grid with some of the other pollutant problems that many places have. We have um, um, many, many processes where we try to get the chemicals that are in our our water out, and then as we do that, we end up stripping the water of the minerals that we need. So it's very convoluted, but I can't advocate strongly enough for you to look into the water quality. We can do food and fun and joy and air all day long, but if they're using, just like we are, water in their body to break down their food, supplement their blood supply, their lymphatics, all of your chi, and that water is as contaminated as anything else in the environment, we're doing those no service, right? So two steps forward, two steps back. So checking your water quality, checking for heavy metals, checking for um, pollutants. And where I live, uh, there is well water, but we have an issue with arsenic. So how do we how do we deal with that? Some people I know have great response with Britas. You know, just pour your water in there and have it filter out. Distilled water, absolutely. Well water, absolutely. Get it checked, but it's, these are the small things that sometimes we miss when we're looking at the bigger picture of just food in general, medications in general, veterinary medicine in general. Um, but if I can, if I can uh, ask everyone who's listening and spread the word, please to everybody you know, everybody who loves our, our four-legged fuzzy or any you know humans and non-human creatures. It's extremely empowering um, to get information about food energetics our genetically modified foods, our chemical-free foods, our phytonutrient foods, our pH um, information. Not that I'm asking you to correct anything. Just become aware. Leaky gut syndrome, the need for probiotics. The How often do we feed our dogs? How do we change them over? And the power of knowing that cats are not small dogs. So I apologize for going over so much information today, but it's just so darn important that this food is not just food. Venison is not duck. Turkey is not salmon. Um, You know, our um, our catfish and sardines are not rabbit. It's not all the same. It's just not a protein protein. They have power. And uh, many places you go to buy food are online. And even with the best intentions, they just don't know. So I want to ask you to do as much research as you can, try to identify the thermogenics of your friend. Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I neutral? Am I sticky? Am I this? Am I that? And how can I use food and water and probiotics and information to help to get my friend in a homeostasis? That is not to be used instead of medical care, holistic veterinary care, traditional care for any of the medical needs your friend has, but... Um, I, employ, you know, uh, this is, uh, very, very powerful stuff. The more you get into it and slow, slow changes, I advocate slow, slow changes for all your friends. I will have a, uh, GMO free food list on my website, hopefully by the end of today. So if you're interested, you can check it out at holistic.